0: We're going to invite up Pastor Chris here now, and he's going to take us uh, and continue our series in Ephesians. And so, actually, I want you give him a hand too. He's you know there you go. Oops, I don't want Facebook. To dedicate this message to Peter Thielen. We celebrated his life yesterday. Those were some of the best speeches I have ever heard at a, at a celebration, a funeral. And uh, about 20 years ago, I, I took, uh, again, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here, I took the lead pastor role in about 2001 or 2002. And, And uh, Pete then had a chance, I was speaking in a different context, Pete had a chance to hear me on a regular basis. And it wasn't long until Pete let me know how he felt about my messages. (laughs) Those of you who know Pete know that he was uh, not shy to let us know. And Pete said, Chris, your messages are too academic. And I didn't quite get it at first, I was a little bit... Offended, honestly that he didn't like me, or didn't like the messages, so to speak. Again, that's how we pastors personalize things, tend to. But you know, after I thought about it a while, and really thought about it, I thought, you know what? He's right. They were too academic. So, I'd like to dedicate this message to Pete Thielen. Well, I'm going to just jump right into things, having said that, with the beautiful stories from the EHS class. We began last week this series on Ephesians called There Is More based on Paul's letter to the church or churches maybe in Ephesus. Nick did an outstanding job, Nick Carruthers, walking us (laughs) through the seven blessings we have in Jesus. And if you have not listened to that message, I encourage you to do so. Now this next passage is one of my favorite in the New Testament. I have spoken on it multiple times, the most recently, last Easter. And so let's stand, if you would. I'm going to begin at verse 15 in chapter 1 and read to the end of the chapter. And if you have a Bible there, one of our Bibles in front of you, it is page 976. Okay. For this reason, because I have heard of all of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... The body of him, the fullness of him, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. You may be be seated. Well, what I like right off the bat about this passage is that it's a prayer. And why is that important? Well, for one reason, it says something about how our God works in this world. PAUL IN CHAPTER 1 HAS JUST GIVEN ONE OF THE MOST SWEEPING MESSAGES ABOUT GOD'S SOVEREIGNTY, MEANING GOD IS IN CONTROL, HE KNOWS HIS PLAN, HE'S WORKING HIS PLAN, HE WILL COMPLETE HIS PLAN, AND WE CAN REST ASSURED IN THAT. BUT SOMETIMES WE ASK, IF GOD HAS IT ALL FIGURED OUT, WHY SHOULD I PRAY? WHY SHOULD I SHARE MY FAITH WITH OTHERS? Why should I do anything? And as Nick noted last week, if that's our response, it shows we don't really get it. We don't understand God's sovereignty. Paul certainly gets it, and he prays all the harder. Why? Because he understands that though God can do as he pleases, he chooses to use us we get to partner with him. It is a great privilege. It is a sacred calling that we all share, not only the so-called professionals. He calls us to work not so much for him, but alongside of him. He uses our prayers, our witnessing, our giving, our service. That is why, as one author put it, it is correct to say both, we have not because we ask not, james 4 2 as well as jesus may your will be done you know prayer is so important to our life with god and one hallmark of a spiritual leader is praying for others and beginning with giving thanks for them this is a reminder to us who are pastors to life group and ministry leaders are you praying for the people in your circle, are you giving thanks for them? You know, giving thanks for someone shapes our attitude towards them in a concrete way. You see them more clearly. You're more inclined to believe in them rather than to see the negative and to criticize. And Paul leads the way here for every spiritual leader, every parent. And as a reminder, as a church, rem- church member, remember one of your responsibilities is to pray for your pastor. In these days, we need your prayers desperately. Don't take for granted our apparent strength, our sustainability. We are more fragile than you think. Handle with care. <laughs> We're more fragile than you think. And what strength you see, if it's there, it's there through the grace of God. And God uses your prayers to help transmit that grace. Now, the fact that Paul is, the fact that he is praying, introduces this passage. But, of course, the essence of the passage is the prayer itself. What does it reveal about the heart of the matter This is how I would summarize this prayer. We need the Spirit's initiative to know Jesus intimately and to experience his power within us. Now I'm not gonna give you an outline this morning as we normally do, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna keep talking and then I'm gonna stop at certain points and I'm going to ask three questions for your own spiritual inventory, your own reflection. And then finally, I'll make a couple of practical application points at the end. So without going any further, let's stop and bow our heads, submit to the authority of our Father and pray for his power to work in our lives. Father, we're reminded this morning that the physical realm is not all that there is we're reminded father that there's an unseen spiritual realm all around us of god space of which you fill and that you're working in and we pray that our eyes might be open to see and recognize this morning is not a lecture it's not simply information father help us to see that this is a spiritual uh Uh, exchange that we are involved in you giving your life to us through your word help us be ready to receive all that you have for us and father we as individuals and as a church want to submit to you to surrender to your authority in our lives knowing that's where our power is and so guide us give us attention Help me to say what's in your heart. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Okay. Paul prays that they would know Jesus better. That's the goal. And the knowledge there, to know Jesus is experiential knowledge. It's knowledge felt in the bones. That's what Paul was after. Christian faith is not meant to be dusty books lying on a shelf. I call this talk, How to Have an In-the-Bones Personal Relationship with Jesus. And by in the bones, I simply mean it's inside you. It's within you. It's not external. Religion, in contrast, is outside, external, mechanical. Religion presses you from the outside through conformity to rules or blind allegiance to the group. There's no power there. Knowing Jesus is something inside of you. It's heartfelt, it's relational, it works from the inside out. It gives you an inward fire, an inward longing. It is willing to walk alone at times because it is not dependent on the approval of others. There is power. In the bones closeness is like a fountain bubbling up from within you. That's the actual metaphor that Jesus used. He used it in a conversation with a woman after simply asking her for a drink of water. This woman, this encounter, it's clear, she understood religion, but it's equally clear that she was looking for more. Jesus said to her, pointing to the water, so to speak, that she drew from a well for him. This is what he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them A spring of water welling up to eternal life. A fountain inside of us, a fire inside of us, and over and over again in a back and forth conversation. This woman described relating to God as a religion, something outside of us, a rule to keep, a set time of place or worship. While Jesus described relating to God as something uniquely spiritual, A power, a dynamic, an impulse, a fountain welling up from inside of us. But where does a personal relationship with God begin? Of course we must know about someone, but for example if we learn about uh, a person from history uh, we can read about them in a history book and gain some knowledge. But it's not the same as a personal relationship, right? You might read all about a figure from history, but you don't know them intimately. Yet, at the same time, we still need knowledge of the other. We need knowledge of the other in order to relate to them. Now several weeks ago I talked about caricatures, if you remember. Caricatures are cartoons that bear resemblance to the subject so that you can easily recognize them, but they exaggerate or distort certain features. I argued that it is often caricatures of God that inform what we believe about him and these distortions, these exaggerations affect us very negatively. I believe I believe that every one of us carries, Images of God in our hearts. Someone has said that our minds are more like an artist gallery than a debater's forum. What he meant by that is that the images in our heart carry far more weight than words. Why? Because pictures are felt in the gut. They color our emotions and our attitudes. Pictures go beyond the intellect. Whether you doubt this insight, I would remind you of a saying very familiar to all of us, which is that a picture is worth a thousand words. I have these images in my own mind. I have an artist gallery, yet as I have read and reread the book of Ephesians through the years, the image I carry always gets challenged. You know, this is my journey to, to struggle to believe that God is who he says he is and not the caricature that I lug around. Now, until recently, I've never tried to describe this caricature for me. And it was reading Ephesians again that stirred me to do it. What is my image of God? What's my artist gallery? Well, let me just first preface this by saying it's not very consistent. So, for example, what I mean is that when I'm in the midst of preaching on Sunday and I've spent the whole week in focused reflection and in prayer and in study, I will say that the image I have of God is more grounded in what the Bible describes as God. But... What about those times when I'm not as focused? There is a default image in my subconscious that I fall back on. You know, to default to something is like a selection made automatically without thinking. Default is like old tapes that play in your mind when you're not listening. Now, my default image of God is an unexamined one. And it lingers, for example, for example, it lingers on my, in my subconscious when I am totally exhausted and languishing at 3.14 p.m. in the afternoon, and I still have meetings coming up, wondering how am I going to do this. That same default image is there when I lie awake at 3.14 a.m. In the morning, I'm worried about a problem I can't solve. I'm worried about what could happen to a loved one, or sometimes it's just sheer terror about what could happen to me. My image of God in those moments, where does it come from? Not from Scripture. Rather, it is made up of the raw parts of my own life my past, my family of origin, things people have said. To me, things people have said about me, things I have read, movies, events that have shaped me. It's an artist gallery. There are lots of images, but the pictures of God are not based on the Bible, but rather these experiences. It's all mixed up as if in a cement mixer, and then throw into that mixer my broken powers of reasoning. Well, who is that God? Let me try to describe him to you. Who is that image of God? If I, can conclu- if I could draw it, well, in my mind's eye, he's very thin. He wears a dark suit. He has a long face and a downward turned smile. His eyes are soulless, his face yellowing and drawn in. He has very little to give. He's not generous, he hangs desperately on to the few resources that he has, he is without enthusiasm or excitement. With this disfigured deity at my side, God is more of an idea than a living person. If he is present in any way, he is powerless. This is my default God. Now let me ask you the first reflective question for your own inventory, who's yours? Who's yours? Who's your default God when you're not really thinking about it? You know, the God that I describe has no capacity for intimacy or for meaningful relationship. If God is to be known and related to, if I am to know God in the bones, those pictures must come down. Okay? We okay so far? You with me? Let's paint the contrast now, okay? Let's paint the contrast. Let's paint the contrast. Let's look together at a few verses from Ephesians. Who is the God that Paul has come to know so well? What are the images in Paul's artist gallery? I'm going to read six or seven passages. I'm not going to comment on them. I just want them to sit on you. And I want you to try to... Listen to him as if you're hearing for the very first time, and I want you to try to imagine Paul as he's writing these words trying to describe God He's actually in prison And I envision him as he's writing stopping pausing and reflecting and thinking about how English teachers in the future are going to going to to, uh, just shudder at his long sentences Run on sentences. Seriously. I see his face brimming with wonder and excitement as he tries to find words big enough. Okay? Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. These will be on the slides here behind you. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. Nick read it last week. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. What I read this morning, Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 2 verses 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness in Christ Jesus. Ephesians three eight. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentile the boundless riches of Christ. Ephesians three sixteen through twenty one. that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles Prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, did you notice the words that Paul uses? to try to capture the person of God. It's like he's running out of words. Immeasurable, incomparable, far above, lavished, boundless, beyond what you can imagine, surpassing knowledge, filled to all the fullness, the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. Is he trying to tell us something? If we were to summarize Paul's descriptors, we would conclude by saying, he is a God with amazing abundance. He is overflowing with extravagance. He is so big, so boundless, so incomprehensible, so great, so majestic, so kind, so powerful, so generous that finding human language to adequately describe him is futile. Philosophy has tried but cannot fully explain him. Science has tried, but cannot satisfactorily analyze him. And religion has tried, but cannot gain control of him. God is so much more than the boxes that we want to put him in. This is Paul's God. How does he compare to yours? How does he compare to mine? This is a God capable of intimacy, of meaningful relationship, of personal dealing. He has boundless energy and enthusiasm and the capacity to be excited about my little life and yours as well. He is not only an idea or ideal, but he is alive. He is present and all-powerful. He is capable and willing to hear all my doubts, griefs, and fears. He can move mountains. You see, if God is to be known and related to, these are the images scripture teaches. And if they challenge or contradict the paintings that currently hang in my own gallery, I've got to take them down and replace them. I need new paintings. This is the essence of faith, friends. This is what faith is. Now, maybe learning, maybe you're sitting here thinking, and you're thinking, man, uh, just learning to love God like that, like Paul did, and learning to relate to God like that, having that kind of faith, that's impossible for me. I, I just can't believe like that. I can't believe that God is that powerful. I don't have enough faith." Or or maybe it's your experiences you've had in life, that maybe it's your past that colors colors your view of God like that. Maybe you can't believe that God could love you like that. And so again, I ask this question. How did Paul, the Apostle Paul, arrive at such mind-exploding Heart expanding convictions about God. Beliefs that lead to intimacy in the bones. Now, of course, we must admit, Paul did receive special revelation so he could write the Bible. That's true. I'm not suggesting that we can repeat that. But the question is can we know Jesus like Paul did? And friends, we cannot ever lose the belief that it is within the realm of our possibility. Why? Because he's the same God. And because his will is not changed. That we can know God intimately, that we can grow in our knowledge of him, is not only possible, but should be expected as part of the normal Christian life. Why else would Paul pray for it for the members of the Ephesians church if it were not possible? We should not expect new revelation about the character of God, but we can have intimate experiences with Jesus as the Apostle Paul did. Again, let me go back to Ephesians 1:17 and 18. Let's look at this verse again. In the middle of that prayer, Paul says... He's praying for the Ephesians that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, what do you notice about this? There's a secret here to Paul's growing knowledge of God. It's a secret that he makes plain. What is it? Paul is keenly aware that to know Christ intimately in the bones, we need something or rather someone outside of us working upon us. Who? It is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is his initiative. Get this. We cannot grasp who God is through our simple mental cognition. It is a revelation. It is the Spirit's work. He enlightens us, or more simply put, He opens our eyes. And though God uses the mental equipment He has given us, our power of reason, we do not come to this understanding through rational processes alone. Again, let me go back to what I believe it to be the heart of this prayer. We need the Spirit's initiative to know Jesus intimately and experience his power within us. And we often fail to get this. We have great ideas. We get up and we want to read the Bible or do something in church. We think we came up with the idea. No, it's the Spirit working in you. Look at what Paul said in Philippians 2. He said, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Your salvation, friends, does not depend on your work or your effort or your disciplines. That's not what Paul is saying. What he is saying is to give great focus Attention to and effort to your spiritual life because it is God who's working in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Martin Lloyd Jones wrote that we are not machines that simply need to be wound up every so often, you know, and then we go a little bit and we run down, wind you back up. No, we have a life and a power within us. God is acting upon us. My spiritual growth and intimacy with Jesus does not all depend on me. Uh, Jones goes on to write about, he says, this is hard to explain, The spirit's working. He wrote, there is an impulse within, a, a call, an urging comes from within, a longing is created. At this stage, it is not something you have done at all. It just happens to you. You find yourself the subject of an activity, not your own. You are aware of a working within you. So let me drop, I'm going to drop down here, Tyler, to this this, uh, next reflective question, which is simply this. How aware are you of the work of the Spirit? How aware are you? How aware are you of the work of the Spirit? God is always working in and around you. The question is, how aware are you? I'm not going to read this passage for sake of time. I just, I'll, just, I'll just tell the story and then give the third reflective question. But if you were to read, there are compelling chapters. It begins about Mark chapter 4, and it goes to Mark chapter 8. There's an obvious um, uh, section an obvious book within the book. And Mark lists all these miracles in there, but he also lists two experiences on the water. Jesus asleep in the boat and he saves them, and then later, Jesus walking on the water. And there's also two miraculous feedings, the 4,000 and the 5,000. And then in between there's all these other miracles. But something's happening in the lives of these disciples because in Mark chapter 8 they're off on another boat journey with Jesus and Jesus gives this talk about the bread of the Pharisees and the bread of the Herodians you got to avoid that bread and the disciples scratch their head and say I think it's because we didn't bring enough bread (laughs) and as, as the story goes on As the story goes on, it's quite clear that the implication is they think, well, man, we didn't bring bread. We're not going to be able to eat. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. And I mean, I don't quite know what Jesus you know, what his face looks like in this moment. But they have a heart to heart conversation. And in so many words, he says, are you guys so dull? Like, where is your spiritual perception? You're looking at things strictly through one realm of existence. And you have completely forgotten. your." actually the word, the phrase he uses is quite severe. Your hearts have been hardened. Which what that implies is it's like a willful resistance. So it's not just like, oh, I forgot. No, no, no. It's a willful trust in self. I'm only going to look at the world through a physical prism, completely ignoring the spiritual realm by which we live. And remember, what was the point of the, of the feedings? Remember? The point that Jesus makes, if you were to look at Mark chapter 8, he asked you guys, he asked him, guys, how many baskets were left over? And then uh, 12, and and the second time, well, it was eight or whatever it was. And then he finishes by saying, "'Do you still not understand?' I am a God of extravagance. I am a God, the empty baskets reveal or the leftover baskets reveal. I am a God of abundance, of extravagance. You're still acting as if I'm, and here I'll say, Your God is some thin, gaunt, yellow, sallowed guy who's barely hanging on to what he has. No, that's not who I am. I have more resources. I am more generous. I am more willing. I am more capable than you ever could have envisioned. Are you still so dull? Do you still not get it? And I think all of us have had those encounters, right, where Jesus said the exact same thing to us. Are we still so dull? Is our perception still so limited? So that's my third question. My third reflective question is, how many lessons do we miss? How many lessons do we miss? Again, for your spiritual inventory to ask, how many lessons do we miss in our dullness? Okay, to to, uh, wrap things up this morning, Let me try to bring everything in here. We've gone over a lot of verses and said a lot of things, but let me try to give you at least two applications. Certainly the Spirit will give you more, but let me, so that you at least have some direction, let me provide two applications. Number one, I'm just simply saying things I've already said. Number one, fill your artist gallery with new paintings. And in the bones, closeness with God is possible, and it is what God desires with you and for you, and it is based on a true and growing knowledge of him. So there may be images of him, beliefs about him that we need to repent of, and that we need to discard because they simply are not true. Just as Ephesians exposed and challenged my insufficient and powerless images, so too you need to trust what Scripture says about God. Spirit will help you. And rely less on your feelings. Rely less on the untrue scripts that you have said about yourself. Rely less on the untrue scripts that others have said about you. And rely on what the scriptures teach about who our God is. This series, FYI, here's something you can practically do. This series, especially, especially the first three chapters, will help fill the gallery in your head with incredible truths about who God is and about who you are. Secondly, what we need in life, friends, what Jesus was getting at with his disciples, is that we need a spirit-empowered spiritual readiness. This is like walking, conscious that I'm living in two different realms. One is a physical realm, a natural realm, a realm that I can see, but at all times, at all times, there is always a spiritual unseen realm that is just as real. We could argue, actually philosophically, you could argue it's more real than the physical world. It's there and it's real. And part of maturity in the Christian life is to recognize that spiritual realm and what that opens up is power. What it opens up is spiritual authority in my life you know one of the great examples of it one of the great examples of it was the roman centurion you remember him the roman centurion he said to jesus he, he he needed his i think his servant to be healed correct me if i'm wrong but i think he needed his servant to be healed and so he goes to jesus and jesus says i'll come back with you to heal him he says no you don't have to you don't have to listen i'm a man Of authority and under authority. I get how authority works. All you have to do is just say the word and he'll he'll be healed. Do you remember how Jesus responded to that? I can just see this huge smile coming all over his face, And he says, I have not seen faith like that in all of Israel. You see, this man understood the spiritual realm. He understood Jesus had power and authority in an unseen world. This is the essence of faith, and what we need is a Spirit-empowered spiritual readiness. The Spirit is always working around and in you, and as you learn to recognize it, you will learn to appreciate all that God is doing around you you'll see his care you'll see his provision in more vivid terms i, I have some stories that i wanted to share but I, i'm, I'm but we need to keep going but i just say this is when you're when you have this sense of spiritual readiness and you're aware of god working all of a sudden you see you see the footprint You see the handprints of God moving and working, and what it does is it communicates to you personal attention and care. I see you, God says. I see your suffering. I see your struggling. I see your anguish, and I'm here. Those are the kinds of moments, friend, that create the -the in-the-bone closeness, intimacy with Jesus, but it requires us to have a spiritual capacity to see. And um, we we have to come to grips with that we can't control the work of the Spirit. He is like a wind that blows where where he will, Jesus said. He will come differently to you than he'll come to others. He will give gifts to you that he will not give to others and vice versa. You know if you encounter a church by the way where everybody looks alike here's my advice avoid it because you likely have a church that is more driven by a very strong leader in a a negative sense or a very narrow legalism rather than the spirit because where the spirit is working there is a diversity of gifts effects and ministry There is a mystery with the Spirit. He is not some impersonal force that I can harness for my own needs. He will come to you stronger and more vivid at some times. Other times, it'll be harder to feel or experience His work. And that is when our faith really comes into play. But what you can control in one sense, what you can control in one sense is your own spiritual readiness through the power of the Spirit. You know, as we've walked down this path of trying to help you listen to God, to become quiet before Him, some of you replied, well, I never hear anything. I never hear God speak in those times of quiet. We have to remember, the goal is not necessarily to hear God speak. The beginning goal, what we can control, so to speak, is that we develop a listening ear. That's where we begin. We begin by developing a listening ear. God will speak to us and come to us on his timetable, not ours. Becoming quiet before him, slowing down to be with Jesus, will empower you to be spiritually ready when? When he does come, when he does speak, then you'll be ready. That's why we have those times of learning to be quiet and to listen and to discern so that when He does speak, we hear. It may be He comes later in the day. Maybe He comes later in the week or later in the month or later in the year, but we're ready. The question is, is will we perceive it? Will we perceive it? Some say, well, I just never hear God speak yet they never do anything to make themselves spiritually prepared. There's no spiritual disciplines. You know, spiritual disciplines in and of themselves, prayer and Bible study and church and life group, in and of themselves, these things don't make us close to God, but they are the exercises that can still our hearts so that we're able to hear and listen and develop that in-your-bones closeness. You see, the reality is that some of us just simply settle for activity. We're just happy just going to be active. doesn't matter if I'm close to God, just enough to be active. Some of us settle for just very little knowledge. I I just come as I am. I don't need to really know that much. And we just never grow because we're just happy with little knowledge. Some of us settle for only Bible knowledge. That's all we really want is just an intellectual exchange. Again, never realizing that knowing the book is not an end in itself, it's connectedness, it's intimacy with Jesus. And then finally, some of us are like philosophers. We're just happy to have like this abstract knowledge about God. We don't really care about knowing him intimately. You see, this is part of why we chose the series title for Ephesians, There is More. More. As much as some of us are tempted, I know I am tempted to think that we've exhausted the knowledge of God. We've read every book. We've heard every sermon. We've prayed every prayer. Let this be a reminder that the knowledge of God is inexhaustible. I love the occasions and times where God, and it happens on a more regular basis, than it has in the past for me, where God just surprises me with some new insight, revelation, understanding of himself. And I I find myself saying, God, I, I, I thought I knew you fully. I thought I had it figured out, but there is more. You know, if we lose our sense of wonder, our expectation that he is more and has more for us, then our spiritual lives will shrivel up. This morning, I've tried, the best I could, to give you a vision of what could be, to allow the scriptures themselves to create a hunger for an in-the-bones intimacy and closeness to an amazing God. Amen? David uh, and Summer, why don't you come on up. Let's pray, and then I'm going to lead you into communion. Father, as we respond to you now through communion, as we respond to you through song, as we pray through the song, as we sing songs to you and about you, as we take the bread and the juice, let us respond. Let us see who you are. May we be spiritually ready, even in this moment, through the power of your Spirit. Just you go ahead and just let's just stay in a posture of prayer. Let's take the bread. You know, we invite here in a unique way the presence of God. Though these are remembrances, we hold them to be so important. And we invite and welcome the presence of God here in this moment of communion, the presence of Jesus through his bread, through the cup. Let's take the bread together. His body given for us. And let's take the juice, the wine of the new covenant for our forgiveness of sins and the expectation of the return and the second coming of Jesus.